Good morning, my brothers and sisters. I greet you this beautiful Easter Sabbath and pray for an interest in your faith and prayers as I stand before you. Have you noticed that everywhere people are in a hurry? Modern jet planes speed their precious human cargo across broad continents and vast oceans. There are appointments to be kept. Tourist attractions beckon and friends and family await the arrival of scheduled flights. Our modern freeways with their multiple lanes carry millions of automobiles filled with more millions of people in a seemingly endless stream. Does this pulsating ribbon of humanity ever come to a halt? Is the helter-skelter pace of life ever punctuated by all oh, moments of meditation or thoughts of timeless truths? When compared to the eternal verities, the questions of daily living seem rather trivial. What are we having for dinner? Is there a good movie playing tonight? Has anyone seen the TV log? Where shall we go this Saturday? Such questions dim in their importance during times of crisis when loved ones are wounded, when pain enters the house of sickness and of good health, and when life's candle flutters and darkness threatens. Here, truth and trivia are soon separated. The soul of man seems to look heavenward, yearning for a divine response to life's greatest questions. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where do we go when we leave this life? Such questions and their answers will not be found between the pages or the covers of academia's textbooks, nor will they be found by dialing information or flipping a coin or random selection of multiple-choice responses, because such questions and their answers transcend mortality. They embrace eternity. Where did we come from? This question has been thought, if not spoken, by every parent or grandparent. Upon hearing a little child's first uttered cry, we marvel at the perfectly formed body, the tiny toes, the delicate fingers, the beautiful head, to say nothing of the hidden but equally marvelous circulatory and digestive and nervous systems all of which point to the hand of a divine creator. When Paul, on Mars Hill, spoke to the Athenians, he said that we are the offspring of God. Well, since we know that our human bodies are the offspring of our mortal parents, we must probe the meaning of Paul's statement. The spirit and the body represent the soul of man. It is the spirit which is the offspring of God. The writer of Hebrews declared that God is the Father of spirits, and we know that the spirits of all men are begotten sons and daughters unto God. How grateful we should be for the poets and the writers who have given us the thoughts of their minds on these all-reaching questions. I love the writings of William Wordsworth, who declared our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting. The soul that rises with us, our life star, hath had elsewhere its setting. 
and cometh from afar, not in entire forgetfulness, nor in utter nakedness, but trailing clouds of glory, do we come from God, who is our home. Heaven lies about us in our infancy. Another writer declared that a newborn child is a sweet new blossom of humanity, fresh fallen from God's own home to flower here upon earth. As parents, when we look at a sleeping child or take by the hand a little boy or a little girl, we ponder our responsibility to teach, to inspire, to direct. And while parents ponder, children and particularly youth ask that significant question, why are we here? Frequently, it's asked in the first person, often silently to the soul, why am I here? How grateful we should be that a wise Heavenly Father fashioned this beautiful earth and placed us here to dwell, with a veil of forgetfulness separating between us and our pre-existent life. We've been given a time of testing, a chance to prove ourselves, to qualify for all that God has prepared for us to receive. Another prime reason for the creation of the earth was to provide us bodies of flesh and bones. In a thousand ways we make decisions. We learn from that hard taskmaster of experience to differentiate between good and evil, the bitter and the sweet. We discover that decisions do indeed determine destiny. It was the Apostle Paul speaking to the Philippians who said that man should work out his own salvation in fear and in trembling. Personally, I like the words of the Lord when he referred some thoughts to the golden rule and said, Whatsoever ye would that others do unto you, do ye even so unto them. When we follow this pattern, carefully in our lives, we shall qualify for that house spoken of by the Lord when he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. In contemplating such a thought, we realize that a newborn infant comes into mortality the most helpless of all of God's creations. Needed is nourishment for the body and love for the soul, and Mother provides both. She who with her hand in the hand of God went down into the valley of the shadow of death that she might bring you and bring me to a newness of life shall not in her maternal mission be abandoned by God. Long years ago, I noticed an obituary in the daily newspaper of a beautiful mother and wife taken in the prime of life. I went to the mortuary the night before the funeral to pay condolence to the grieving father and the children who were bereft of their mother. I wasn't prepared for the scene that I beheld. There was a calmness there in the mortuary with this particular family. Little Kelly, the youngest of the lot, recognized me and ran over and took me by the hand and then escorted me to the open casket in which rested the body of her beautiful mother. And then mustering up her courage, she said, 
I'm not crying, Brother Monson, and neither must you. My mother taught me about death, and my mother taught me about life with Heavenly Father. I belong to my mother, and I belong to my father, and we're all going to be together again. Through tear-brimmed eyes, I beheld a faith-filled smile, and I thought, yes, little Kelly, with your faith you shall never experience a hopeless dawn. Indeed, with your faith and with your testimony, you can say along with others, right along with the writer of the book of Psalms, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Life moves on. Infancy is replaced by childhood, then youth comes, and mortality appears ever so imperceptibly. I believe with all of my heart in the beautiful inspiration that came from President Stephen L. Richards when he said, God is a father, man is a brother. Life is a mission and not a career. Our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, point you and me in the way to perfection. They want us to be perfect even as they are perfect. I'm grateful that the Lord had that encounter with the inquiring lawyer, where the lawyer asked him, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus answered him, saying, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What a pattern for living. When Paul was at Corinth, he likened life to a great race. He said, Know ye not that they which run in the race run all? But one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. Now in our enthusiasm to run the race of life, I hope we won't overlook the sage advice from the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, who declared that the race goeth not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Actually, the prize belongs to him who endures to the end. When I think of the race of life, I think of another race from boyhood days. When I was about 10 years old, my boyfriends and I would take pocket knives in hand and from the soft wood of a willow tree fashion toy boats. With a little triangular-shaped cotton sail in place, we would launch our boats in the relatively turbulent waters of the Provo River. They would move up and down, bobbing violently in the swift current, and then would sail serenely as the water deepened. We would run alongside, cheering on our particular boat. In one race, I noticed that one craft led all of the rest, and then its bow came just a little too close to the edge of a whirlpool, and the current caught the bow, flipped the little boat on its side, and it capsized. Around and around it went, attempting to make its way back into the main current but to no avail. At last it was shunted off to a deep and mossy pool where it was held prisoner by the flotsam and the jetsam which surrounded it. You see, my brothers and sisters, the toy boats of childhood 
had no keel for stability. They had no rudder to give them direction. They had no source of power. Invariably, their direction was one and the same, downstream. Unlike toy boats, our Heavenly Father did not launch us on our mortal voyage without giving us heavenly attributes. We have the capacity to think, to reason, to achieve. Our Heavenly Father sent us forth with the ability to communicate with Him and He with us so that we might find our way back to His eternal presence. I speak of prayer. I speak of the whisperings of the still, small voice. And I speak of the Holy Scriptures, written in part by mariners who sailed successfully the seas we too must cross. There comes to you and to me and all mankind at some time the faltering step, the wan smile, the pain of sickness, the passing of summer, the advent of autumn, the chill of winter, and the experience we call death. We think of the expression of that venerable man, Job, who declared, If a man die, shall he live again? Try as we will to put that thought from our minds, it keeps returning. For death comes to all mankind. It comes to the elderly as they walk on faltering feet. It summons is heard by those who are yet midway in life's journey. And oftentimes it hushes the laughter of little children. But what comes after death? Is death the end? One time I sat by the bedside of a father, father of two, who was dying of cancer. He looked at me with yearning eyes and said, Tell me, tell me. What happens to my spirit when I leave this body? I yearned and looked heavenward for an answer from a divine source, and it came. And I reflected upon the 40th chapter of Alma. It seemed to fit the occasion. I perceive, my son, that thou art worried concerning the state of the soul between death and the resurrection. Behold, it has been made known unto me by an angel that the spirits of all men, yea, the spirits of all men when they depart mortality, are taken home to that God who gave them life. And the spirits of the righteous are received into a state, a state of happiness, which is a state of rest and a state of peace, where they may rest from all care and from all sorrow. My friend put his head back against the pillow and spoke a scarcely audible but ever so eloquent thank you. After the body of Jesus had lain in the tomb for three days, the Spirit again entered the body, and the risen Redeemer walked forth, clothed in an immortal body of flesh and bones. The answer to Job's question, If a man die, shall he live again? That answer came when Mary and the other Mary went to the tomb to care for the body of the Lord, and they discovered that the large stone had been rolled away, and they were met by two men in shining garments, who said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. 
I love those words, He is risen. I love the testimonies of the risen Lord. I glory in the testimony of Paul to the Corinthians when he did say, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried. Then he arose on the third day, and he was seen by Cephas or Peter. Then he was seen by the twelve. Then he was seen by five hundred brethren at one time. And then he was seen by James, and then by the apostles. And Paul adds, last of all, he was seen by me as one born out of due time. I love the testimony of the risen Lord when he appeared to over 2,500 witnesses on this continent and declared unto them, Arise and come forth, and thrust your hands in my side, and feel the prints of the nails in my hands and in my feet, that she may know that I am the God of all Israel, I am the God of the entire earth, who was slain for the sins of the world. And when the multitude did go forth, and witness for themselves. They did cry out with one accord, Hosanna! Blessed be the name of the Most High God! And did fall down at the feet of Jesus and did worship Him. In our dispensation, the wonderful prophet Joseph Smith declared, After all the many testimonies which have been given of Him, this is the testimony, last of all, that we give of Him, that he lives. For we saw him even on the right hand of God, and heard the voice bearing record that he is the only begotten of the Father, and that by him and of him and through him the worlds are and were created, and the inhabitants thereof begotten sons and daughters unto God. As Christ was resurrected, so shall all mankind be resurrected. This is the redemption of the soul. The Apostle Paul declared that there are celestial bodies and there are bodies terrestrial. The glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is the glory of the sun and the glory of the moon and the glory of the stars. And as the stars differ in glory one with another, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. My dear brothers and sisters, it is the celestial glory which we seek. It is in the presence of God that we desire to dwell. It is as a part of a forever family that occupies our thoughts and our desires. But such blessings must be earned. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where do we go when we leave this existence? No longer need we probe or grope for such answers to these questions, for God has provided them. His Son loves to bless the faithful. He is also concerned for the lost child, the wayward youth, the tardy teenager, the delinquent parent. To one and all, he says, come back, come up, come in, come unto me. How supreme the joy of all who answer affirmatively his gentle and divine invitation to exaltation. I testify of the Lord. He is a teacher, but he is more than a teacher. He is the great exemplar of the perfect life, but he's more than an exemplar. He is the great physician, but he is more than a physician. 
He is the Son of Almighty God. He is the Prince of Peace, the Holy One of Israel. He is our Redeemer. He is our Lord and Savior. And he it is who said, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified should come into the world. I am the light and life of the world. I am the first and the last. I am he who liveth. I am he who was slain. I am your advocate with the Father. To his witness, I add my own testimony and witness this Easter morn that he lives, for I so testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A few days ago, a new friend, not now a member of the church because of recent discipline, asked, what can I do while I am waiting? Over the past period of time, it has made very evident what I cannot do. Tell me and others in my situation what we can do. As I try to respond to this sincere plea from a good person, Perhaps I am only directing my suggestions to a few, but they are a precious few. I would endeavor to instill hope instead of despair in those who temporarily have lost certain powers and privileges. Some of these people in this category dare not hope anymore for fear of being disappointed. May these and their families be helped with thoughts that will bring action, comfort, and a new sense of self-worth. I recall vividly and with feeling this friend's additional request. Please don't tell me to be patient, loving, sweet, and understanding. I need more than that. I need solid direction. I have an urgent need to get over my frustrated feelings and get on with life. Please help me. How can we as church members best help these good people? I suggest a quotation from the Book of Mormon as a foundation for our actions. Nevertheless, ye shall not cast him out from among you. But ye shall minister unto him, and shall pray for him unto the Father in my name. And if it so be that he repenteth and is baptized in my name, then shall ye receive him, and shall minister unto him of my flesh and blood. Often in the scriptures we remind that we should minister to all of God's children, that we should do so with the pure love of God in our hearts. George Bernard Shaw once said, The greatest sin against mankind is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. Close quote. Indifference can be one of the most hurtful ways of behavior. Never should we in life allow ourselves to turn away walk on the other side of the street and pretend we didn't see or prohibit involvement in accepted ways. 
We need to learn to love everyone, even those who are difficult. A warm handshake and a friendly smile can be wonderfully healing medicine. Conversely, how unwise we are when we declare, I'll never speak to him again. Never is a long time. And even those who have caused heartaches or shame are not beyond ultimate repentance. Sometimes hurts to the heart are more damaging than physical blows. Yes, they may take longer to heal, but they will heal more quickly if we avoid bitterness and anger and practice forgiveness. As we support the efforts of those who are trying to work through their challenges, we should be helpful and will be if we can extend compassion, patience, and love. It is a sad day when any one of us surrenders to sin or circumstances. Many of those waiting have often been hurt by thoughtless words and deeds of those around them. Blessed is he or she who avoids being offended. There are appropriate and acceptable assignments which can and should be given to those who are in this waiting period. Now as to the request of my friend, what can I do while I'm waiting? Also from 3 Nephi chapter 9, verse 14, we are given this warm invitation, quote, Yea, verily I say unto you, if ye will come unto me, ye shall have eternal life. Behold, mine arm of mercy is extended towards you, and whosoever will come, him will I receive, and blessed are those who come unto me. Close quote. This scripture indicates that in life there is no waiting period before we can come unto God. In our weakness, we know where we can turn for strength. What good advice and wise direction for our lives can be gleaned through study of the scripture? Self-esteem can be renewed and strength to do his will will be revived. People must always count more than programs. As one comes unto Christ, he learns of the reality of forgiveness. Behold, he who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven. And I, the Lord, remember them no more. By this ye may know if a man repenteth of his sins. Behold, he will confess them and forsake them. When a man is convinced of the truth of that scripture, I, the Lord, remember them no more, he is ready to start coming back to full fellowship. Some suggestions can be made by using two effective words, shun and participate. Shun means to avoid deliberately and especially consistently, to abhor. To participate, one takes part. 
or has a share in common with others. We would recommend that one should first shun feelings of resentment, bitterness, and contention toward those individuals rendering decisions. Often when discipline is administered, there is a tendency on the part of some to become resentful toward the individuals and institutions who have had to make the judgment. We should permit ourselves to take a self-inventory sampling before we cast the first stone. Resentment and anger are not good for the soul. They are foul things. Bitterness must be replaced with humility. Truly, bitterness injures the one who carries it. It blinds, shrivels, and cankers. Some of us are inclined to look to the weaknesses and shortcomings of others in order to expand our own comfort zones. A worthy personal support system in cases like this must include an effective family, friends, and acquaintances who are willing to help us cope with what we see and experience. Moroni gave us all some words of advice. Condemn me not because of my imperfections, neither my father because of his imperfections, neither them who have written before him, but rather give thanks unto God that he has manifested unto you your imperfections, that ye may be more wise than we have been. Close quote. A repentant individual will choose his own course and proceed with confidence. He has no need to protect a wounded self. He will not allow himself the danger of self-inflicted sympathy. It is generally good medicine to sympathize with others, but not with yourself. Number two, shun discouragement. One of Satan's most powerful tools is discouragement. Whisperings of you can't do it. You're no good. It's too late. What's the use? Things are hopeless. Are tools of destruction. Satan would like you to believe that because you've made one mistake, it is all over. He wants you to quit trying. It is important that discouragement is cast out of the lives of those who are waiting. This may take a decided amount of work and energy, but it can be accomplished. Number three, shun escape routes. There are those who would welcome you into rebellious or apostate groups. We can never build with purpose if we join the ranks of those who criticize and aim to tear down. It is easier to demean and place blame on others for our situations than it is to repent and grow. Some who set out to damage and destroy others 
end up losing themselves in the process. Drugs, drink, pornography materials, subculture association are all escape routes. Attitudes that it won't matter now or there's nothing for you to do are totally inappropriate. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Maintaining and building requires discipline and patience. Shun those who would build themselves by destroying others. Number four, shun the desire to become anonymous. When difficulties arise, some want to fade into the crowd and become lost and unknown. Any thinking person will realize there is a wonderful support system available to those who are listed on the records of the church. There are those who will listen, help, and teach. There will be opportunities to study scriptures, ponder, and pray. Caring people and a caring God want to know where you are. All need to be known, recognized, and loved. Hearts and souls reaching out for nurturing and meaningful association. Even those who claim they just want to be left alone are in reality seeking their own identity. Some privileges and powers are lost, but let us not lose ourselves in the process of finding ourselves again. In God's eyes, Nobody is a nobody. We should never lose sight of what we may become and who we are. While waiting, there are many ways to participate. Family members are priceless possessions. They offer love and strength. But even more family members need each other. You can choose to be aware of the needs of each family member and do your part to help fill those needs. Some need a person to listen. Some may need a compliment or positive reinforcement. There is strength and satisfaction in becoming involved in family projects. Encourage family member love by being approachable, even when you feel you have a reason to turn away. The first step back in seeking family acceptance is to change oneself for the better. It is true today, true yesterday, and will be true tomorrow that effective leadership can only be administered through love. Participate in church functions and meetings. Accept opportunities to take appropriate assignments when given the opportunity. I will always be grateful to a man who helped our boys on a continuing basis while it was not possible for him to take part in all of the church programs. He was well-loved, and he loved the boys to whom he gave time and guidance. Practice dependability and commitment. Adapt 
to existing conditions. There are places to serve where you are needed. When someone declares there's nothing for me to do, it just isn't true. We sometimes make that statement because we have learned to live with present situations and resist new opportunities. Leaders must always be sensitive enough to look beyond restrictions and policies to the ultimate long-range needs of God's children. Number three, participate in worthy projects, including compassionate and other volunteer service. Often our own problems seem to diminish when we become aware of the challenge faced by others. When my wife was volunteering as a pink lady at one of our local hospitals, some of the doctors in the area would encourage their patients who are depressed, sad, or emotionally ill to join the volunteer organization. That prescription often worked better than medicine to build self-image and restore health to those who found joy in helping others. As budget cuts plague many of our cultural and civic programs, there is a place for anyone who desires to work with scouts, help with reputable drives to collect money, help in schools, art galleries, welfare agencies, and many other places. There are no restrictions on participating in good works. There are no reasons to wait while God's children are in need of your love and service. Love should be a vehicle allowed to travel without limitations. Jesus was always supremely interested in the individual over the circumstances. Number four, participate in reporting in. Part of your responsibility in coming back is to find someone with whom you can share your concerns, questions, and progress. John Powell, in his book, The Secret of Staying in Love, tells us that, quote, the genius of communication is the ability to be both totally honest and totally kind at the same time, close quote. Look for this kind of person in your life. Problems often seem to diminish when they are vocalized. Another person's point of view may help gain a different perspective of the situation. It is comforting to have a listener who will share your feelings and respect your needs. Communication should be kind, gentle, open, and constructive. One of the greatest blessings available to all is daily personal prayer. By this means, everyone can report in to an understanding father who loves all of his children. God knows the feelings in every human heart. He can soften sorrow and lead when there seems to be no light. Prayer can give guidance and confidence. It reminds us that no one need be alone in this world. If all else fails, remember God and one can be a family. 
My plea and invitation to all, especially those who have temporarily lost certain privileges, is come back. Your lives are as important to us as they should be to you. One of the main goals of the Church is to secure the development and happiness of the individual. We want to have your association and your influence. We want to be your fellow travelers without waiting. Anxiously engage in actions and attitude that will bring full fellowship and the accompanying joys and rights to which you will be entitled. We will be at your side to help you as you travel upward in a support system with God at the helm. We promise you in all the days ahead that while you're going through what is identified as a waiting period, the quotation from Psalms 142.4 will not be your relationship with us. Quote, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Close quote. We love you. We know you. We care for you. We are all God's children, and for members in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and their treasured associates, there need be no waiting period. Instead, we will work together for self-worth and ultimate victory in righteous achievement. To these truths, I leave my witness. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. It is Easter morning, that sacred season when the heart of each devout Christian turns in humble gratitude to our beloved Savior. It is a season that should bring peace and joy to all. Yet many of you have heavy hearts because a son or daughter, husband or wife, has turned from righteousness to sin. My message is for you. At times, your life is filled with anguish, pain, and despair. I will tell you how you can be comforted by the Lord. First, you must recognize two foundation principles. While there are many things you can do to help a loved one in need, there are some things that must be done by the Lord. Also. No enduring improvement can occur without righteous exercise of agency. Do not attempt to override agency. The Lord himself would not do that. Forced obedience yields no blessings. I will suggest six ways you can help. First, love without limitations. When in a dream Lehi partook of the fruit and was filled with joy, his first thought was to share it with each of his family, including the disobedient. Second, do not condone the transgressions, but extend every hope and support to the transgressor. To his missionary son, Corianton, who had violated the law of chastity, Alma said, Behold, O my son, how great iniquity you brought upon the Zoramites. For when they saw your conduct, 
they would not believe my words. Then he clarified in careful detail principles which his son had improperly used to justify his acts. Subsequently, that loving father gave this counsel. O my son, I desire that you should deny the justice of God no more. Do not endeavor to excuse yourself in the least point because of your sins. But do you let the justice of God and his mercy and his long-suffering have full sway in your heart and let it bring you down to the dust of humility? Corianton repented and became a powerful servant. Third, teach truth. Nephi taught his brothers, Whoso would hearken unto the word of God and would hold fast unto it, they would never perish, neither could the temptations and the fiery darts of the adversary overpower them unto blindness to lead them away to destruction. Then he gave this example of how to teach. I did exhort them with all the energies of my soul, with all the faculty which I possessed, that they would give heed to the word of God and remember to keep his commandments always in all things. Fourth, honestly forgive as often as is required. The Lord declared, If he repenteth in the sincerity of his heart, him ye shall forgive, and I will forgive him also. And as often as my people repent, will I forgive them. Fifth, pray trustingly. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The Master taught, Pray always, and I will pour out my Spirit upon you, and great shall be your blessings. Sixth, keep perspective. When you have done all that you can reasonably do, rest the burden in the hands of the Lord. When I take a small pebble and place it directly in front of my eye, it takes on the appearance of a mighty boulder. It's all I can see. It becomes all-consuming, like the problems of a loved one that affect our lives every waking moment. When the things you realistically can do help are done, leave the matter in the hands of the Lord and worry no more. Do not feel guilty because you cannot do more. Do not waste your energy and useless worry. The Lord will take the pebble that fills your vision and cast it down among the challenges you will face in your eternal progress. It will then be seen in perspective. In time you will feel impressions and know how to give further help. You will find more peace and happiness, will not neglect others that need you, and will be able to give greater help because of that eternal perspective. Abraham labored that his own father would overcome transgression. Despite his best efforts, that father turned to idolatry. Had Abraham let that proper concern for a father consume his every thought, he could not have received this blessing. In thy seed shall all of the kindreds of the earth be blessed. 
Some who have overcome serious sin in their own lives blame themselves because of that prior disobedience when a loved one does not respond as desired. Such promptings come from Satan, not from the Lord. Alma could help his son, Corianton, because Alma spoke from a position of strength, knowing that his own sins had been entirely forgiven through repentance. This is not a doctrinal discourse, rather a personal witness of what I know to be true. At times, my wife Janine and I have had challenges that seem more difficult than we could possibly face alone. Once, she lost a baby girl and nearly her life. Within six weeks, another beloved son was taken home. We pled for help and it came. When other challenges have brought us to our knees, we have had confidence that we would receive comfort and guidance, and they came. The Lord opens doors of opportunity and provides strength each of us needs at difficult times in our life. This Easter, as we remember the resurrection and the price paid and the gift given through the Atonement, Let us ponder what the scriptures teach of those events. Our personal witness of their reality will be strengthened. They must be more than principles we memorize. They must be woven into the very fiber of our being as a bulwark in time of need. Nephi taught, Wherefore, you must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, Father, ye shall have eternal life. He could well have added, and shall have peace and happiness now. Happiness comes from understanding and living the teachings of the Lord. It comes from not being critical of ourselves when we don't accomplish all we want to do. One last suggestion. Never give up on a loved one. Never. I know we have a loving Father in heaven. He asks us to worship him that we may feel his love. He entreats us to love his Son, that we may be comforted and strengthened. Sometimes we foolishly recite facts about the Father and the Son mechanically and forgive us, preach to them, preen before them, and display our ignorance and pride. Yet they continue to love us perfectly, each one of us individually. Yes. They are all-powerful and all-knowing. Their works extend eternally. But their love for each of us is personal, uncompromising, endless, perfect. I know they live. I know that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Redeemer, I love him with all my soul. He gave his life 
that we might overcome errors and live eternally. I don't understand how he did it. In my own imperfect way, I try to imagine the incomprehensible burden he felt as he entered into the closing life of his ministry on earth, knowing that his life had to be completely sinless without error. He had to provide the perfect atonement for all mankind, each individual without exception, or not one soul could ever return to the presence of God. He did it. He did it perfectly. Neither he nor his Father will ever fail us, never in all eternity. I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this is a beautiful time of year with spring beginning to burst forth in many parts of the world, bringing all of its colors, scents, and cheerful sounds. The miracle of the changing seasons with the reawakening and rebirth in nature inspires feelings of love and reverence within us for God's marvelous creative handiwork. The Easter season is a good time for people everywhere to appreciate the wonders of nature and give thanks to the creator of this beautiful world. Men and women in all parts of the world have a desperate need to take time from their demanding routines of everyday life and to quietly observe God's miracles taking place all around them. Think of what would happen if all of us took time to look carefully at the wonders of nature that surround us and devoted ourselves to learning more about this world that God created for us. My family and I recently experienced a simple but impressive observation of one of God's creations. I gave my wife, Barbara, a dozen rosins for a valentine. They were a delicate shade of peach in color and had a rich scent. Barbara put them in a vase and placed them on the table in our family room. As the days passed, the family watched the blossoms unfold from buds to full flower. As I watched this miracle, I became curious about roses. I was amazed to learn from a botanist friend that there are thousands of different varieties of roses. Inside each rose is a giant storehouse of genetic coating that starts as a seed or a slip and then develops roots, stems, thorns, leaves, colors, and blooms. Each rose is a compact chemical processing factory. Using sunlight, the green leaves take carbon dioxide from the air and replace it with oxygen which we breathe. When other chemicals within the plant react with sunlight, it produces starch that becomes food. As you know, this process is called photosynthesis, and without it, the Earth's atmosphere would soon be devoid of oxygen, and most living things would disappear from the Earth. My friend told me that the chemical energy and the electrical energy our brains were using at that very moment once were sunlight 
that was absorbed by the chlorophyll in green vegetation we had previously eaten. This experience led me to consider the myriad forms of plant and animal life that thrive in astounding balance upon the earth. My esteem for our little roses took on an element of wonder and reverence. I pondered the power of the creative genius who lovingly provided such marvels for his children. I thought then, how important is it for every human soul to see and appreciate the glory and the grandeur of God in everything about us? Into my mind came the words and message of a beautiful hymn. When through the woods and forest glades I wander, I hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and see the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. I felt a deep reverence for both the creation and the Creator. Reverence may be defined as a profound respect mingled with love and awe. Other words that add to our understanding of reverence include gratitude, honor, veneration, and admiration. The root word revere also implies an element of fear. Thus, reverence might be understood to mean an attitude of profound respect and love with a desire to honor and show gratitude with a fear of breaking faith or offending. In the book of Moses we read, And behold, all things have their likeness, and all things are created and made to bear record of me, both things which are temporal and things which are spiritual things which are in the heavens above and things which are on the earth and things which are in the earth and things which are under the earth, both above and beneath, all things bear record of me. Truly the heavens and the earth and all things in them evidence the handiwork of God, their creator. In the Book of Mormon, we learn of Korihor, an antichrist, who was brought to the prophet Alma. He asked for a sign of God's existence before he would believe. But Alma said unto him, Thou hast had signs enough. Will ye tempt your God? Will ye say, Show unto me a sign, when ye have the testimony of all these thy brethren, and also all the holy prophets? The scriptures are laid before thee, Yea, and all things denote there is a God. Yea, even the earth and all things that are upon the face of it. Yea, and its motion. Yea, and also all the planets which move in their regular form do witness there is a supreme creator. These external evidences continue to testify to us today. Astronauts viewing the Earth from space have stated how incredibly beautiful it is and how alive it appears. United States Senator Jake Garn wrote of his experience in space, quote, It is impossible for me to describe the beauty of the Earth. It is a breathtaking, awe-inspiring spiritual experience. 
to view the earth from space while traveling at 25 times the speed of sound. I could also look into the blackness of the vacuum of space and see billions of stars and galaxies millions of light years away. The universe is so vast as to be impossible to comprehend. But I did comprehend the hand of God in all things. I felt his presence throughout my seven days in space. I know God created this earth and the universe. I know that we are his children wherever we live on the earth, without regard to our nationality or the color of our skin. Most importantly, I know that God lives and is the creator of us all. Close quote. Again, the words of the hymn come to mind. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. The psalmist wrote, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man, that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man, that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. The Lord gave an answer to the psalmist's question. It is recorded in the book of Moses. For mine own purpose have I made these things, and by the word of my power have I created them. For behold, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. When we look to see the evidence of creation all around us, from a grain of sand to the majestic planets, we begin to realize that we are the greatest of all God's creations. We are created in His image. I was joyfully reminded of this fact three weeks ago when our 24th grandchild was born. I was again filled with wonder and love to hold this precious infant in my arms, to contemplate the miracle of birth, and to see a child born into mortality who had come so recently from the presence of our Father in heaven. The gift of new life brings a profound feeling of reverence. Parents and other family members are drawn closer together. Even little children sense a feeling of awe and wonder. They want to hold the baby, touch it, run their hands over its warm, soft head, or extend a finger for it to grasp and hold. Welcoming this new little spirit into our family circle brought home once more to me the incredible truth. I realized again that God created the earth in all its magnificent glory, not as an end in itself, but for us, his children. Indeed, we are his children, his offspring, and he is the father of our spirits. We sometimes feel great respect and reverence for creative genius as expressed in great art or music. 
how much more should we revere the power and majesty of our divine Creator? We may stand in awe of man's creations of beautiful buildings or bridges, but remember the Apostle Paul's words to the Hebrews who said, He who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. Those who feel no reverence for the creation and the divine attributes of God likely will have little appreciation for other sacred things. Such a lack of veneration for God's creations may diminish until a person becomes totally insensitive to the feelings of others. This, I am afraid, is the condition in some parts of the world. When we consider people who are irreverent, we may think of those who lack manners, sensitivity, and courtesy, and who show little or no respect for the finer things or for sacred things. Perhaps some lack reverence for life and for their fellow men because they do not understand who they are and what they have the potential to become. God expresses His love for us by providing the guidance we need to progress and reach our potential. Perhaps a simple story will illustrate this point. Recently, a young man purchased a used computer but could not get it to work properly. Soon he became discouraged. His temper grew short, and he threatened the inanimate object with painful destruction unless its performance improved. A wise father intervened and took his son to the local vendor where they obtained an instruction manual. After all, who would know more about a complex computer than the person or company that created it? Who would know most about its capacity and potential? Who would better know the safeguards required to avoid damaging or ruining this fine instrument? Soon the boy enjoyed the full potential of his computer. By working within the guidelines given in the instruction book provided by its creator. Likewise in our lives, he who knows most about us, our potential, and our eternal possibilities has given divine counsel and commandments in his instruction manuals, the Holy Scriptures. When we understand and follow these instructions, our lives have purpose and meaning. We learn that our Maker loves us and desires our happiness. In an incomparable manifestation of this divine love for us, He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoso believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus was born into mortality. He led a perfect life and in so doing marked the path for us to follow. He taught His disciples, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. His gospel is a gospel of love, love for God 
and love for one another. He directs us to follow his example. Our discipleship is measured by how well we comply. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Can you imagine what an impact following this instruction would have in society today? Many people, I fear, never come to understand that the commandments of God are for our benefit, that as we sow, so shall we reap. Our return to our Heavenly Father is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus told His disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He instructed us to keep his commandments if we love him. He taught further that. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. In the atonement and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can glimpse the reality of his divine mission to redeem all who will come unto him and will honor and reverence God, our eternal Father. We may begin to understand the depths of Christ's love for us when we consider that he was willing to atone and suffer the pain for our sins, which suffering caused him, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit. Nevertheless, he gave glory to his Father and partook and finished his preparations under the children of men. The crowning words of the inspired hymn continue. And when I think that God his Son not sparing sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Brothers and sisters, on this Easter Sunday, let us give special thanks to God for the atonement and the resurrection of his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. For in him, by him, and through him, this temporary mortal condition can be made into a permanent, perfect existence for which words cannot express our joy. To truly reverence the Creator, we must appreciate his creations. We need to plan to take time to observe the marvels of nature, Today we can easily become surrounded by brick buildings and asphalt surfaces that shelter us from real life around us. Plan to share with your family the miracles of buds changing to fragrant blossoms. Take time to sit on a hillside and feel the tranquility of the evening when the sun casts its last golden glow over the horizon. Take time to smell the roses.
all the marvels of nature, are glimpses of his divine power and expressions of his love. Yet the greatest of all miracles await us. It will occur when by his power we will come forth from death and the grave to a new world that will not pass away, where if we are worthy, we will be with him and our Father in heaven forever and ever. With humility, but with firm conviction, we declare to all the world that we know for a surety that God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son lived. We know that they visited the Prophet Joseph Smith in the spring of 1820. They spoke to Joseph, and through him they revealed wonderful true doctrines and restored the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ that had been lost from the world. We invite all men and women everywhere to know of the restoration of the gospel, for in so doing they will develop a deep reverence and love for God, His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and their creations. I bear testimony that true reverence will bring peace, joy, and happiness to us all. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen.